know. I joke about it, but I really do feel like I've given up trying to make reason out of my madness. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. When I read about chaos theory, when I read about chaos magic, there's something so tantalizing and just like wonderful about the idea of knowing wherever I sit, it brings something into fruition. Yeah. And the stuff you put your effort in is where you're going to see fruit. That's where I fall short. I'm bad at putting effort into things. <laughs> <laughs> I I try to explain it to Kat because, you know, of course, she's not as into it as I am. But I, the way I kind of explain it is it's all in how you direct your energy. Like if you are directing your energy toward achieving a certain goal, you're going to achieve it. I mean, obviously, there's barriers and boundaries to that. You know, I'm not going to put all my energy towards a goal of becoming like the president of NBC or something. That's just something that's not in my wheelhouse. But if I am putting all my energy into becoming a better spouse or to make, you know, doing home improvements and making our house the best it can be, or if I'm putting my energy into gardening because I want to be able to help support my family and I want us to be more sustainable then it's going to come to fruition because I am putting my energy and my purpose into it. And when you flow that into it, because I'm sorry, I'm getting like so into this. The main problem that a lot of us have is we are pulled in so many different directions and we have so many different things that we make ourselves focus on. So when you make that choice of here are the things that I've decided are important, here are the things I want to accomplish, here's where I'm going to put my energy then it becomes attainable and it becomes something that you can bring to fruition. And that's chaos magic, baby. Chaos magic for dummies. That's what you just gave. And speaking of chaos and dummies, welcome to the Read This Way podcast, listeners. Welcome, stranger. Welcome. Welcome, strangers and friends. I'm Renee Pogue, one of your co-hosts. And our other co-host is this man. My name is Jace Wingate. And we're just... from the Bible Belt. (laughs) we're just two nuns on the run searching for an Amish family to put us up in their barn and help us break the habit (laughs) 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 oh yes thank you you took my joke and you made it better you know if there's something I'm really good at it's interrupting and yes ending at the same time but yes Hello, strangers, friends, Sally Mae, Countrymen, Freddie Mac, Romans, and Mitch McConnell. You know he listens. Yeah, it's it's weird because I thought when Democrats won the majority that it would mean that we were in power and got to do things, but apparently we still have to do what Republicans want because of unity. So I'm very I don't really understand when do we get to enact democratic policies? I love- we don't do it. When Repubs are in charge, we don't do it when Dems are in charge. Funny how like the filibuster comes into play now when you're the minority. Thanks, Mitch. Exactly. It's all power. It's just so stupid. It's not even about policy anymore. It's just about making sure everybody is miserable. You know what? Let's not worry about the people. Let's just worry about the economy. If we do things for good, then... How come stock market line go down? We can't gift things to the people because otherwise um, they'll um, – I want to put more money in my pockets. What do I say? What do I say? They'll, <laughs> they'll get lazy. So let's not put money in their pockets. 
Yes, nailed it. Look, we have to give the money to the people who already have money, because but we'll make the money really sharp. So when they put the money in their pocket, it'll like make a little hole, and then eventually some of it will trickle out of their pockets while they're not paying attention and walking down the street, and then the poor people can pick it up. It's all trickling down. You just don't understand economics. Like when when the trickle down economy meets the bystander effect. <laughs> <laughs> Some other rich person's going to they're, they're gonna be they're gonna be the one who really puts into the trickle down. You know, if there's anything that I've learned about freaking out and worrying during a pandemic, it's that I'm really, really good at putting aside the things I need to do. And putting eight plus hours into a role-playing game on my Nintendo Switch. (laughs) It's called That Problem is for Future Me. Future Me really must dislike present me. Oh, yeah. Future Me hates me. But you know what? She can't do a damn thing about it. Sorry. I feel like like it's the endless cycle of like future me will always feel jilted by present me. So that when future Mm -hmm. me becomes present me, well, he got to do it. So why don't why don't I get to do it? <laughs> it's like the constant battle between day shift and night shift. Oh, honey. Yes, listeners. Hello. Welcome to Read This Way. Welcome back to Read This Way. If you are joining us this week for the first time, that's great. This is a standalone part one, so you will be missing nothing. And if you enjoy this episode, we absolutely encourage you to back catalog and visit our first season. This week, we are covering Came the Dawn and other stories illustrated by Wallace Wood. And we're going to be covering this in two parts because it is a, a collection of his illustrations. What Renee was speaking about last episode, if you didn't hear that, Uh, Came the Dawn chronicles what was kind of the precursor to Tales from the Crypt. We actually see a character in some of these episodes called the um, Vault Keeper, who was the um, predecessor to the Crypt Keeper. There are just a bunch of spooky little stories that have some twist or turn or some moral lesson. Some of them are cautionary tales. And our last one that we'll cover this evening is one that I can't wait to discuss with Renee because sometimes I wonder, is it worth telling the story for the lesson or the moral? (laughs) You know what? That is a great question. That is a wonderful thing to ask of both yourself and others. Is it sometimes just best to say something is wrong rather than take someone through probably the, the worst parable. I read it and I got angry. And then I was like, this is in, this is insanity. Yeah, um, it very much reminded me of a Flannery O'Connor story. Because it has that where you, not to spoil too much, but like you want a happy ending. You want something good to happen because this is bad, but you're not going to get it. Nothing good happened. Infuriating. But that being said, we're going to get to that a little bit later in the episode, okay? We've got some fun ones to cover first. Got some fun ones to cover first. Um, I love it because we get to return to our old kind of structure. In our past episode with King, we kind of made the assumption and executive decision to 
take the nonlinear route in discussing King. And it's kind of fun to return to our roots, what we know, return to the things that we know how to do. And we do it really well. <laughs> yes, which is reading this way. Reading this way. A masterclass. <laughs> reading, reading in a linear fashion. But I feel like King, you know, you can do a lot of jumping around because most people are familiar with the story. So exactly. you, there's a lot of the, parts you can kind of skip. It was the right move. Yeah. It was, it was the right move. You ready to dive into the first one? So I think the first one is a great introduction to the type of stories we're going to be covering. So diving right in, the first story that we cover is the werewolf legend. Uh, my name is Walter Mallory. I'm an English man and until recently thought myself perfectly sane and normal. And then when those horrible changes came over my body, when my blood hungered to kill and raven in the full of the moon, I became part of the werewolf legend. Mm. I mean, I've been through puberty too. And I think we can, we all can agree that the hormonal shift that we all uniquely experience during middle school is one that can only be encountered alone. And I initially thought our character was this mustachioed man at the very front. I thought, hey, it was Walter, but he's not. This creature we see with fangs and tons of hair. And aggressively lie. stalking him we get this this moment where he believes he's had a nightmare waking up in his bed terrified because he believes he's killed a man and then he looks in the mirror and he is covered in hair so you think reader perhaps it's true perhaps he is an evil werewolf i mean in horror anything is possible Anything is possible. And this really does. I appreciate that like we're dropped in media res. It's the like we're not we're not beating around the fucking bush. Like there's m my name is Walter Mallory. I'm a fucking werewolf. And here mm -hmm. I am stalking my prey. Here I am stalking some prey just as a werewolf does. You know, we don't know anything about this guy when, you know, he wakes up. We know nothing about his cousin Gregory except he apparently lives with him. And they're they're very, very rich. They're Good very old rich. I love that they give us. The, I feel like we rarely get this entrance into the psyche of a werewolf, like the moral quandary. <laughs> I really like what I'm. Is this really me? Am I doing this? Did I kill him? I don't know. And then I love. And then he finds the book. The I love that he is. He wakes up with some hair on his face, and he has a terrible nightmare, and he freaks out. And then, as soon as he hears that somebody has been dead, he's like, "Oh fuck, I did it! Yep, I'm a werewolf." He Every jumps to it immediately. Like, yeah. it's like he's like, "Yeah, that's the most plausible explanation." Two plus two equals four, honey. I'm the werewolf. I gotta go. <laughs> they need to. They need to lock my ass up. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to my library and see if there's <laughs> anything. That That's chronicle. what wealthy people do, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's an explanation for this. I'm going to go look in my family's library. That's really of well stocked with books. As you do. Oh, and how convenient. Our family has a history of having the werewolf gene. So, lycanthropy. Wow. Darling is no joke. This is lycanthropy. Exactly. 23 and me be damned, honey. <laughs> Determined by this book that he found in his library. And conveniently, he changes again and stalks down his second prey. Everyone he stalks has a mustache. 
why. I, I guess that's how he chooses his victims, because he does not have a mustache. So maybe some werewolf jealousy there. Yeah, like, oh, I'm the only I can be the only person who grows facial hair. I think you're right, trying to like decimate this particular breed of man. As typical in these stories, the horse has a sixth sense um, called intuition. Can sense, <laughs> can sense the werewolf coming and tries to get away. But you know what? Walter Mallory is faster than the horse and takes the man out. He grabs him. Yep. And the scream gurgles in his victim's throat. Mm, delicious. Brought to you by Listerine. Wakes up with blood smeared around his face and he's like, oh God, I must do something. I deserve to die. I got to turn my ass in. He goes to the police. The police are like, okay, freak. Yeah, they're very accepting of it. They're like, ah, oh, I see, a werewolf. Okay, which I found strange. But it uh, it enables him to go to sleep with a clear conscience. And yet he kills anyway and is very upset the police did not stop him. How could they? They knew where he was and yet they didn't stop him. And of course, following the rules of threes, um, the rule of threes. Three deaths before we come to our conclusion. Cousin Gregory. Out of left field. Who knew? Cousin Gregory basically just he hypnotizes him into having the dreams that he murdered these people. And then. He was going to make him kill himself and get framed. Yeah. He wanted you to believe. He wanted him. Um, what is his name? Wilfred? Walter. Willard? Walter, a much, a much better name, which is right in front of my face, which I see now. But he, he basically is trying to convince Walter that he committed these terrible crimes. And I guess because he realizes that Walter has such a delicate temperament, he would kill himself. And also, so Gregory could get kill these guys who had been blackmailing him and get away with it because his sad little baby cousin was convinced he had done it. And he almost got away with it. Almost got away with it. I think this is such a great, like, early example of gaslighting. This would be great to, like, put into a textbook and be like, this is how you gaslight. Greg- Gregory is uh, is fantastic at it. I mean, he very nearly got away with it. Like, the elaborate nature of, like, you were hypnotized into believing you were a werewolf and you would take your own life and then get framed. Okay. All right, queen. So welcome to um, our taster listener. We move on from the werewolf legend to the mad magician. The mad magician, Boris Pataha, I believe is how that's pronounced. I accept that. Also, does he look a little bit like Vincent Price to you? Yes. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, I wonder if that was intentional. Who doesn't love some Vincent Price? I I felt this to my core where he's like, I may be a magician, but these people don't realize that I can do real magic. And who hasn't gone a little crazy in pursuit of the truth? Honestly, you're so right. Poor guy. He's like, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be sawed in half. Reader, to catch you up on Boris's idea, because he believes he can do real magic. And he believes that he can saw a person in half and put them back together. Why is that where he has decided he's going to prove that he's really magic? I don't I don't know. Why yeah. not drown yourself? Kind of just like threw his javelin and was like, you know what? That's where I think I can really prove that magic is real by sawing a person <laughs> in half and stitching it back together. 
his poor victim is like, no, thank you. I don't want this. He's like, how dare you doubt my magic? So it only makes it worse for himself. Poor guy. This story is told in tandem with um, Jim Crane and his pretty wife getting ready for their honeymoon. No. Yeah. This one is where he got a new job. So they're traveling. I love... Well, the police found a man's body just about here, Jim. It was sawed in half. Jim, that's so horrible. I've dreamed of that body. Jim, I'm scared. So like, I like that, though we've seen the exposition, the writers want us to know that what I assume are the protagonists also know what's going on in their world. They're not not stupid. They're not fools. They're not going to be blindsided, but they are well-read. You know, they crash into a giant tree. How did they not see it? My question exactly. Also, I this this couldn't stop. Ah, uh, I'm like this looks like your faces went through the windshield. Yes, but she seems fine somehow. Yeah. Alice is fine. She's lost her headscarf, but not a scratch on her. Totally well, fine. The power of reason and fear kept her fine. Exactly. <laughs> the sheer power of fright has kept her body whole. I'm obsessed with the names Czar and Cesar. Fantastic. You know, this guy might be crazy, but he's fantastic at naming animals. Great animal names. 100%. He should have just gone for uh, a Joe Exotic thing and started his own German Shepherd farm. That would have been amazing. 10 out of 10. But instead, he's going to drug these people. Tiny powder pills into their gleaming glasses of wine. Because he's pretending to be a good host. He played the gay host. And which I've done before. Because he's a magician, the sleight of hand kept them from seeing the powder going into the wine. So Jim gets shackled in the basement. I guess I guess he kind of makes Boris makes the decision that, you know, I'm more attracted to him than her, so he's the one I want to saw in half. Yeah, I was Confused as to why he grabbed Jim first, but I guess it's good because we find out that Alice must be drinking. I I assume Alice has uh, had more than her fair share of wine because she is only knocked out for a few minutes. Alice is no stranger to drinking. Like Alice yeah. can hold her own around a bar. I And this is how I can tell it too is because she gets into a straight up bar brawl with Boris. Oh, like, Yeah. I think he thought he thought that like Jim was the one to worry about. No, Alice is like known in her local bar as the bitch who will fight. (laughs) That's why they had to move towns. He was like, we're kicked out of every bar in our town. Thank God I got this new job. I'm just imagining her like hulking out. Like when he when she wakes up, she's like, I've got to get to Jim. (laughs) She really does. And I do love that. The ruse is over as soon as he has Jim shackled up. He is no longer trying to pretend to be a host. He's like, don't worry about your husband. He'll be fine after I've sawed him in half. And then she just goes straight up into attack mode. Inhibitions aside, you know, I've, it's been nice hosting you, but I got to get to the real reason I'm here. So also what a wonderful, what a fantastic villain. I do love a villain that is going to narrate for me. Absolutely everything he does. I'll get her by throwing the axe. Where did he get an axe? I don't fucking know. That dive out of the way, it's like, that's an angelic, like, 
it it almost in the drawing it looks like she propelled the axe with like sheer mental force into the <laughs> like, like or into scarlet the witch power, power line mm-hmm. which oh that's when the power line gets cut yep i just noticed that too i was like oh okay I was so confused. I was all ready to have a whole conversation with you at the very end because I was so confused by that. But okay. All right. That makes sense. You played yourself, Boris. So Boris unwittingly, unknowingly plays himself. He goes back. He's like, well, she's a woman, so she'll just die in the elements, you know, as as women do when left alone to the elements. Um, (laughs) <laughs> she's probably already already wilted and become part of the moss by now. Yeah, so she's not being if I if male eyes are not gazing upon her, she's probably dead. Yeah. Um and I I do love when he walks back in, he's like, "Fantastic, he's awake. Now I can explain to him exactly what I'm going to do." Boris is really like Boris is that person who if you give them an inch, they take a 5k. Like they will mm-hmm. don't you don't ask Boris how he's doing because he will tell you and he will keep you like you need to go to the store and you saw them in the walkway of your like loftish area like your living community and yes. you were like hey how are you and you you're like fuck why did I say that and then you needed to be at the store like you're already ten minutes late to the store and now you and you're like thirty to forty five minutes late and that's yes. Boris when I tell you. I truly don't care. You have to honor that I'm telling you the truth. I don't think I've ever cared about anything less than what I'm hearing right now. I continue to surprise myself how little I care about what you're telling me. (laughs) I thought I was an empathetic person, but you have managed to put that thought out of my head. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Boris. So he starts up the chainsaw and he's like, well, fuck it. Now you're the one, honey, because you're hot and I probably killed your wife slash girlfriend. Let's get this done. The difference between Jim and Alice, when confronted with danger, Alice punches her way out. When confronted with danger, Jim faints. Alice doesn't try to loosen himself from his restraints. How did he go from getting handcuffed to getting tied? Jim, you were useless. You know, Jim is the damsel in distress. He really is. This is classic damsel behavior. And then Alice is like, well, Jim's dead. Yeah, Jim's <laughs> dead. But I can dead. still put this man behind bars. But Jim, fuck, Jim's probably dead. But you know what I want? Justice. Yes. <laughs> so refreshed and strengthened by the rain, she staggered down the cliffside and along a, cr- a country road. And then the hangover hits and grief. <laughs> Her ass looks like she's, that's like me uh, the day after I drink Everclear. I'm like, fuck, I can't, I can't even <laughs> be straight. She's like, do you have any wine? Because I need some hair of the dog if I'm going to deal with the rest of this evening. And then we get footage of a live wire. I'll report it as soon as we get to that house. And here's the big plot twist. Jim, you're, you're safe. Oh, merciful heaven. Um, Boris in typical queen fashion. Police, you'll never take me alive, you stupid fools. No one appreciates my genius. Stop him. He's going to dot 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 jump. And I'm like, why are you why do you need a moment to come up with the word jump? Oh, I think she was encouraging him. 
She was like, stop him. He's going to hurry up, you asshole. Jump. Do it. Do it. Fucking jump, you piece of shit. You put me through this. You ruined my night. <laughs> we were going to go out when we got to town. I got another ruined bar. I got to become infamous in another bar, bitch. Get this <laughs> over with. Come on. Do you know how much product is in my hair? And now my hair is ruined. These I curls leapt. don't just happen, Boris. I leapt from a cliff. <laughs> the least you can do is jump and end your life, please. Poor Jim. You know, does he do anything to save himself? No. But thankfully, no. that axe hits through the power line. And so the saw stops. And what is the poetic justice at the very end of this? Boris cuts himself in half. I mean, I understand it's like fun poetic justice and like, oh, he kept trying to cut people in half and he gets cut in half. Did Alice push him? Because can you imagine with what force you would have to jump out of a window to land on a metal fence and just get like cut in half? I mean, she probably she hulked him like her (laughs) rage, her rage overcame her and she like physically lifted him up and like what happened in my imagination is she goes, stop him. He's going to jump, grabs him, (laughs) flies Flies out the window with him, slams his body on the metal fence, and then runs back up. But it all happened so quickly mm-hmm. that it was like by the time they hear the thud of him slicing in half on the metal fence, she's already back up there. The cognitive dissonance because yeah. they don't want to believe that she could do this. Except for Jim because he knows. Jim knows. Jim like is a little – Jim's not afraid because he knows Alice has that in her. Mm-hmm. Like he knows that she'll protect him. Yes. You're never scared of your own guard dog. So true. Which now brings us to on fog-shrouded nights in the loneliest places, strange horrors walk unseen and unknown to mortals but sometimes sometimes the barrier of terror lifts slightly and weird things enter the cities of man such a thing was the living corpse bum bum yeah hey judd good to see you uh we just we got this body here we're just gonna it's definitely dead definitely so dead, dead. They told us to bring it here because that's our job. Um, <laughs> this is where dead things go, right, Jed? Right, Jed. Are we at the right place, Jed? <laughs> the one thing in a morgue that you don't want to happen. I guess if I worked in a morgue, there are two things that I would not want to happen. First one is a little grosser than the second. I think the one thing I would not be able to deal with is when like a body has been dead for a while and it gets bloated with all like the stomach acid juices and you have to like cut it open to the autopsy. I don't think I could do that. I think that would be too much for me. I would have to get like an intern to do it. So that's like the one, the first thing you don't want to happen in a morgue. You don't want a big, gross, bloated stomach that you have to cut open. And this one, the second one, is a body sneaking up on you and trying to kill you. Those are definitely top tier. Like, not what I want to happen working in a morgue. I did think. It was a weird conclusion to jump to, like, oh, my God, I have to tear this entry out because people will never believe this story and I'll lose my job. 
straight up, I'm like, whoa, wait, no. You tell you tell them what you saw, what happened. You call up the guys who brought the body in and say, hey, that body was not dead. Yeah, like you're not the one who gets put on the chopping block here. Like they clearly brought in a body that was not dead. And he he just jumps from from zero to a thousand immediately. Immediately in the throes of paranoia. Mm-hmm. Scared of truly everything. And then this is where the story got kind of funny for me. Was <laughs> when they he goes back to the morgue. He's like, okay, well, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe it'll, you know what? Maybe it was just a weird day. And then the motherfucker comes back, puts himself back in the morgue, and then attacks him again. 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 And he just faints. He's kind of hot, though. Like, (laughs) I don't know. There's a little part of me that's like, oh, well, I mean, you're cute. Like, Yeah, if you weren't trying to kill me. You got a good bone structure, and you're, like, kind of hot. I do love that when his assistant or whatever goes and tells him to kind of take a break. I guess he's not an assistant because he's also a doctor. Anyways, he's like, I know what will take my mind off these horrible things. I'm going to go see a magician called Satanist with his partner, Desiree. This seems amazing. This will get my mind off evil things. That's ex- this is exactly what I need. Just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> I hope Satanist can get my mind off evil yeah, me too. His name or doesn't Satanus. sound. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that. Either one. I accept either pronunciation. We see this mofo get dunked into the tank. I'm not really sure what the talent is. You can stay underwater for 15 minutes and not, and and, and he dies, but then comes back to life. He, uh, doctor, the doctor's triggered. The doctor's like, I can't take this. Death is everywhere. It surrounds me. I've, so, so you naturally, know, he's like, I better go back to work. Yeah, better go back to work. I'm really primed to be freaked out again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right where the story wants to climax. I better go to work. I better go to work. I better not take care of myself in any way, shape, or form, or else we won't get to the end of the story. So he gets back to work. Hmm, a pretty girl. Too bad I didn't see her. Well, I guess I better check the new arrivals. And he um, sees a ring on one of the corpses. If she was hit, a ring might've made that mark dot, 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 a snake. He's like, Oh, I better check the new arrivals. Oh, look, it's her. Like how Hmm, fortuitous. You know, I am no detective. I'm just a doctor, but I have (laughs) noticed it's he satinous, the living corpse without his beard and mustache. He must've killed the girl. He's, Alive, and then I assume he goes yes, and they say alive together. Such a fucking troll. You pretend like, and it's so extra too. Like you pretended to be dead to get into the morgue to like remove the mark of the ring. Mm-hmm. And it's like just get rid of the fucking ring. How are you gonna get rid of the mark on her? You punched her so hard it left an imprint. I just need to know the logic behind that. Yeah, well, clearly there was none. Obviously. No. I love that he's – this is truly gruesome. And honestly, working in the food industry, I know you had this fear too, is getting trapped in a lock-in. Oh, my God. So there were times where I couldn't get that shitty lock-in opened and I would have to like bang the door. It's a real fear. True fear. 
Well, and then, you know, no one was checking on our asses at no. closing time, especially in the evening. She was scary. No. So our, our wildest nightmares came true in this story, listener. Um, <laughs> the doctor has a heart attack from fear. And the story ends with the wild screams from the refrigerator grew weaker as Jed's mind doled and the world slipped away. Sadness would never get out for Jed was scared to death. Sadness had condemned himself to a real and final grave. Poor, poor Jed. Too many frights. Three times is too many. Yeah, the him. rule of threes. It's you're gonna have your heart's gonna fail. Imagine if he had just not attacked him all three times. If he had just like been super quiet until he left, he would have solved all of his problems. But he's got to be dramatic, and now he's frozen to death. It's one of those where I've talked about before how I always like to imagine the prologue, like what happens afterwards. I just want to see what happens when somebody goes in there and tries to figure out what happened. Trying to put two and two together. Like, okay, well, the plot twist is Jed gets framed for murder. I was going to say, like, do they think that Jed is a serial killer? Because they're not going to know the context. They just know that he had a heart attack. And there's a person in the freezer who has clearly been trying to get out. Try and get yourself out of that one, Jed. Poor sweet Jed is going to have his name besmirched in the press. Besmirched. Anyways. Why is there terror surrounding this one splendid home? Why do the very walls shake as if from some impending disaster? Who are the shadowy dwellers living here under the spell of the curse of Hockley Heath? I loved this story. It was very Fall of the House of Usher for me. Yes, very much so. And it's one of those where it's like this this place, it, it, reader, listener, for your benefit, uh, this story opens with three cousins who are dealing with the aftermath of their uncle passing away. And they are reading um, an old curse on their family from Clayton Harkley, who died from a wound inflicted by his villainous brother. And since he knew he was going to die, he put a curse on their family so that none of them will live in peace. You know, like you do. And these three are the last members of the Hartley clan. And they're waiting to find out all the money they're going to get because their uncle is now dead. And you find out immediately, it's not even a secret, you find out immediately that these three murdered their uncle in order to get his money. Yeah, they like talking about it. Yeah, they're just immediately like, oh, yes, because we murdered him. And you have, oh, what's the little weaselly one's name? Oh, the oh, one who looks like Lindsey Graham? Yeah, because yes! Little weaselly cousin Edgar, who's very tiny and weaselly. And then you have big, scary Brutish, sexy. Cousin Charles. <laughs> and you have Sybil, who looks like Vampira. So I love her. Was she in on the plotting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All three of them were. Okay. And for some reason, Sybil is given all of their uncle's wealth. And honestly, I feel like this was done on purpose because their uncle probably knew what kind of awful people that his niece and nephews were. So he was like... I have to find a way to get them to infight. Yeah, this isn't going to be the end. I'm going to get you from mm -hmm. beyond the grave. 
you know, obviously they don't trust each other. She promises that she'll share the money with them, but then immediately as she walks away, she's like, they're going to murder me. I know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to try to kill me and I'm going to hide in this closet. But she doesn't think it all the way through because Lindsey Graham grabs her from behind and aims the shot up. And then mm-hmm. they give her the morphine. And they also casual catacombs under the house, which makes me nervous. I love that. I love a casual catacomb. You know, subtle nod to um, Wuthering Heights with the Moors. Yes. And then as soon as they believe Sybil is dead, Charles is immediately plotting about how he can get rid of little baby Lindsey Graham. Waste Just no like time. immediately. Yeah. Well, Charles is plotting to kill him, and Edgar knows Charles is plotting to kill him. He cannot get his life together. He is just so haunted by Sybil and convinced that she is already haunting them. And that very, very Poe-esque, very telltale heart, he's convinced he can hear her and that she's coming to get them. Charles thinks this is the opportune time to take Edgar out. He's going crazy, so he's going to be easy Mm -hmm. to pick off. And just before he makes the finishing blow with the leg of a table, a chandelier falls and kills Charles. Yeah. Was it Sybil? Probably not. Probably just an old, it's an old shitty house. Yeah. Needed some renovations. That chandelier was the first to go. (laughs) It was the first to go, and um, ironically, so was Charles, because that's when we find out Sybil is alive. Because Sybil, Sybil's no stranger to morphine, honey. (laughs) There's some strong women in these stories. I love it. She says, my illness, dot, 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 I've been taking morphine for years. I'm like, you're a good time, girl, Sybil. But of course, stupid fucking Edgar freaks out. And burns the entire house down. Kills both of them. Yep, kills both of them. House and family had returned to the earth from whence they came. By Harkley's, by Heath. (gasps) In the jungles of that still dark continent, Africa, there dwell more terrors than creeping animals and stealthy snakes. But these men of violence and greed would not heed the signals of horror ahead. A study in terror. I love a pun. I love a pun. I love a curio shop. I love going into a shop knowing what you want to get. And this man walks in and says, you know what I fucking want? A shrunken head. He's like, you know, you know, I woke up today and chose violence and I would like a shrunken head. <laughs> it chose violence. And then, um, you know, it wouldn't be – if the story just ends there, it's no fun. So, of course, we have to get the exposition of how he came upon the shrunken head. You know, I'm not going to lie. This assistant, Lester, makes me kind of nervous from the tip top. He's got that weird, um, he's got that weird, like, conniving face. I, I smile at you, but I'm going to pull the daggers from my teeth to stab you in the back, giving me that vibe from the way he's drawn. Yeah. His hair's too shiny. Hair's too shiny. But, you know, like, let's face it, they're both bad. The white devil, like, in its finest form. What are we going to do today, Brain? You know, Pinky, the same thing we do every day. We're going to go try and get some fucking shrunken heads from Africa. We're going to try and rob some native people. Like we do. As yep. as col- white colonials, it's all we know. So 
<laughs> what what country are we going to? I don't know. This is the 1950s. It's just Africa. It's just Africa. So we get the plot. It's super simple. They're going to bring a native to kind of like act as the lubricant to get the shrunken heads. The deal goes horribly wrong. And Mr. Lester leaves. Is it Mr. Lester? Oh, no, Mr. Avery. Mr. Avery leaves Lester behind, assuming he's dead, assuming that they're doing the act of shrinking his head. Because it's they decide that since the chieftain won't give them any, they're going to steal them. They're going to steal those motherfucking shrunken heads. Mm-hmm. So um, Avery escapes. Without any shrunken heads. No, he has two. Oh, he has two? Yeah, he says, glad I got those two heads at least. Poor Lester. Oh, yeah. Well, Something's following me. Got to get out. And then from the darkness emerges Lester. Is he with... I'm assuming he... I Is that not just a vision that he has of thinking it's one of the natives and it's actually Lester standing there? Or no, he fights with the native. It's very confusing because uh, he says, it's your head they want and I've been sent to get it. But then... He still ends up with, I mean, I guess if that's not Avery's head, it's possibly a different one. I would assume they traded that they got the two heads back and then he got to keep Avery's. Mm. Can you imagine being the buyer at that point? I know. Like, how do you, so is that your point of sale? Like, you're like, okay, so you still want it? <laughs> like, yeah, five, that's how I got it. <laughs> five minutes of maniacal laughter and he's like, all right, so you want it? You take Venmo or Cash App? <laughs> oh, this this next one. I am interested. Once we get to the end, I am interested to hear your theories. Oh, yeah. So this one we have uh, this poor, poor Ruth. Poor Ruth, young, beautiful, trying to live her best life. And her husband, John... Not interested in her whatsoever. Only interested in work for some reason. Only interested in board meetings and coffee and reading the stupid newspaper. And keeping Ruth on a on a um, pedestal. Just keeping her on the mantle. He likes her because she's pretty and nice to look at. It's weird that he would want to marry her in the first place. I don't know. He doesn't really even say he loves her. He's just like, I know that you're in love with my brother, but you should marry me. And it's like, okay, but like, give me a reason to do yeah. so. Also, if you're Ruth, if you really were so in love with Ronnie, then then wait for Ronnie. It's weird that you want to make your brothers Eskimo brothers, but. <laughs> so I love that they established the mystery from the very beginning that they're like, did he hear from the door? Like, does he really like did he does he know what's going on? Yes. I love Ronnie returns and immediately. Oh hey, make up for lost time. Yeah. Hey, I'm in love with you. How do we kill him? Exactly. Both of both of them are just like, well, I guess it's time for him to die. Yes. And you know how we're gonna do it? He and I are gonna go on a morning swim and I'm gonna drown his ass. You could have still divorced him, but whatever. I so what comes into play is that it's this weird thing where Ruth holds all of his assets, including his position at his business, which I didn't know that you could do that. I, this, is an, this is an America that I'm not familiar with. 
when John murders Ronnie, question mark, whatever the outcome of the- Oh, no, um, Ronnie, Ronnie murders John, question yeah. mark. Yeah, Ronnie murders John, question mark. Ronnie gets to keep his job, his place in his business. He inherits everything, including Ruth. But to Ruth's shock and surprise, Ronnie is just like John. Yeah. And, and becomes obsessed with the same things. And gets his mole removed. Gets his fucking mole removed. But their primary care doctor knows nothing about it. But Ronnie, of course, says, oh, I went to a specialist. Mm-hmm. I went to a, a special mole removal specialist who removes <laughs> And his responses are just very weird and cryptid because she's like, when you're like this, you remind me of John. And he goes, do I? And when he's like, I'm just looking after our interests. And she says, you never liked business. This isn't like you, Ronnie. You only like me. <laughs> An adventure. But no, he, he started. It's one of those. He says exactly what John said, where he don't wait up. You know how these board meetings are. And that's when the wheels start turning. Her favorite chair uh, had been moved to be directly under a chandelier. And apparently she almost got killed by a safe. I don't know. What is it? I would totally chalk the chandelier chair thing as like, okay, that's maybe an accident. But the moment that the safe falls, I'm like, okay, you're trying to kill me. Is it John who overheard their plan and has decided to take revenge in the most long-winded way possible? Is it Ronnie who still holds a grudge against her and has realized maybe he does like business? I think this is a single white female situation. I think Ruth is actually Ronnie. <laughs> I think it's a personality she's developed. There was never any Ronnie. There was never any Ronnie. This is just every six months or so, John has to feed into her psyche so she'll stay married to him. And he puts on a fake mole. I truly don't know. I'm like, I think, I think it might be, I think the way it's written, I would say that um, John lived. I think John was aware and John won the fight. Ronnie was obsessed with his brother's success and only wanted to do it to take over so it was mm. never about loving ruth it was it was about having everything that he had interesting 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 but i do love because i'm pretty sure this is the only one so far that has the open-ended ending yeah. where it's like oh what could have happened so i i liked that i i appreciated it poor ruth poor, She's not poor even ruth <laughs> she's not even the one who suggested it i know right like ruth was just ruth was truly along for the ride he was like i'm gonna kill i'm gonna kill him and she's like all right if you have to i mean i guess okay i mean there are probably better ways we can handle this but okay but i mean i guess if this, if this is what we need to do she's just kind of along for the ride poor thing she literally is like i'll be the witness yeah, she's like, I'll call the police, but I don't know what else you're expecting out of me. I felt for her. Ooh, and then we get the first. I think this is the Crypt Keeper because it's from the Crypt of Terror. Because there's the Crypt Keeper and the Vault Keeper. I think, and they end up like interchanging the drawings of the Vault and Crypt Keeper. Yeah. 
So I think like the image we see here is titled the Crypt Keeper, but I think he ends up being altered to the Vault Keeper. And it's definitely a different Crypt Keeper than, you know, I am we know. Yes. Yeah. Not the creepy puppet from the 80s and 90s. No, he's worse. Yeah, he's more human-like, which I think makes it worse. The Crypt of Terra. A dead man painting my picture. (laughs) Yes, dear reader, it is a dead man. Can't you smell the graveyard dirt? Can't you see his rotting, decomposing flesh? (laughs) His name? Well, he was John Wayland, but now I call him the man from the grave. I did notice in this one and a couple other ones, there's a real obsession with the smell of graveyard dirt. And charnel house. And charnel house, yes. And when we meet this corpse with thumping, sodden steps, we just know that he must finish his work. But we don't know why. But we don't know why. And then thankfully, we have the Crypt slash Vault Keeper here to provide us with a lovely exposition. About our our poor little John Wayland when he was alive. Alive but poor. A fledgling illustrator who just couldn't get off the ground. I feel like this is kind of a nod to some of the people who maybe work on this as well. Just because he's an illustrator for a horror magazine. Exactly. Or he ends up being. Or his his illustrations are horror-based. Super-duper poor. Loves illustrating. Gets hit up by an editor who's like, hey, I like your work. Can you show me the samples? Unfortunately, he's pawned the samples that he was going to show. And he's like, fuck, 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 fuck. Classic. What is it? The Magi? Yeah, gift of the Magi. Goes back to the pawn shop. Pawn shop guy's like, girl, no. Do you have the money to buy him back? No, of course you're not getting them. So he pulls out of his hat. He's like, my old friend, Billy Johnson, he always helped me in the past. He'll help me one more time. I know he will. He goes to Bill Johnson. He's like, fuck you. You always borrow money from me. You're a cheap bum. Get out. It's the most dramatic response. In a fit of rage, he kills Billy. But Billy is kind of a dick. Because yeah, I Billy. never want to see you again. You're a cheap, spineless bum, a no-good, a worthless slug. I mean, Billy, that's a little harsh. I think the punches are good. Like, he deserves that. I think it's when he's like, I'm going to dump you into a vat of acid. That I'm like, that might have been a little overkill. Yeah, that part was where it was a little bit too much. Shoving his face into some etching acid. Also, the diction on this um, acid-worn face Oh, he, I mean, he's saying every word. I'm like, you don't have lips, girl, but somehow you can like say all these words. Somehow you still got this, I guess. More power to you. You got enough to bring a curse in. Yeah, I know. He says, you know what? I might be dying because the acid is poisoning my blood. But you know what? I am cursing them. Mm-hmm. Use them and you will always have to use them. Never resting, always working day and night, forever and ever. Okay, sounds nice. I would love to work day and night. Nobody ever thinks that dead men's curses will actually happen. So what does he start drawing? The most grotesque things imaginable. And they love him. Yeah, this guy's a real this guy's a real trip and he does enjoy the creepy creepy stuff he makes. But there's Well, a and he's 
he's just so he's so productive. He's just he's so productive that he ends up selling a year out, and his guy is like, "Listen, you got to slow down because I already, I already bought a year's worth of stuff. I can't do this. I physically cannot buy anymore." And he's been cursed with the curse of Adderall, which is he continually works. He doesn't stop and he doesn't eat. So he begins to waste away until one day he falls to the floor and dies. And that fucking landlord lady, she's like, all right, well, rest in peace, girl. Like, I'm going to come, <laughs> I'm gonna come in here. Peace, I know you have some manny. Yeah, I'm going to take it. He marched back in. He said, I can't. I said, sorry, I'm still on the clock. And that's where it's like, never rest forever and ever to work and paint, even though I smell of charnel house and the grave. There's a real obsession with it. Real obsession with the charnel house. But yeah, they're, they're always, always, because I smell like charnel house and the grave. Like, honey, it's fine. Get on America's Next Top Model. You'll be great. Yeah. Like, no one's judging your smell. You are fine. We're really more judging your face. Like, how how long have you been dead and you already look that bad? Yeah, like, you just died. I love I love that he goes to painting and the woman's freaking out. I think that's a really great <laughs> Like, he's probably yeah. going to attack her. He's <laughs> just going back to work. He has no interest in this woman whatsoever. He just has to paint more. But that's the freaky part. Yeah. She's like, you can, he's like, you can stay if you want, but like, I'm going to work. And she ends up in an insane asylum because, you know, you, you've seen The Walking Dead. So I, I get that that would probably drive you insane. Love a little good Crypt Keeper pun, but that if I took a canvas of you readers, I'd find some of you screaming too. Love it. Thank you. Reminds me of what I have always loved about the Crypt Keeper. Always ready with those puns. This one actually this one actually reminded me of another horror story. The tale of two people who visited an amusement park and were not amused. <laughs> Lovely. I love that. I mean, that's kind of the obvious terrible pun, but you know what? I will let them have it. Also, I would love to have lived in a time period where you would just be on a road trip going wherever and being like, oh, an amusement park. Let's stop and hang out. Like now, if I'm going to like Six Flags, I am planning out the whole day. Like that's an event. Well, that's I what love, I'm going to. I love that they're like, oh, it looks like it's shut down. Let's go see if any of them are open anyway. I'm like, are you dumb? There's a sign that says closed. Everything yeah. is closed and boarded up. Clearly abandoned. You are asking for what you're getting. Oh, well, I guess we're going to leave. Oh, no, we hear water splashing. It's like, no, white people be white peopling. Get out of there. And when you're on the high of the honeymoon, you know, nothing can go wrong. Yeah, no. Not even by men with terrible haircuts and worse mustaches. The worst mustache I've ever seen. Oh, you know what would be perfect? Let's go on a creepy dark boat ride in this abandoned amusement park. I can't wait to tell our kids about this. I can't wait to tell them about the love tunnel we went through. And it's the actual antithesis of a love tunnel. It's a it's a murder tunnel. It's a death tunnel, if you will. Can you imagine, like... Seeing that creepy stuff and you're like, oh shit, it's real. I would lose my shit. I would have known something was wrong the moment the amusement park was abandoned. I would have been like, oh yeah, we shouldn't be here. Let's go. Yeah. I feel like that 
should have been the first sign. Oh, nobody else is here. Maybe we also shouldn't be here. But, you know, you and I are rational people. Exactly. We never almost died in an amusement park ride. No. And in order for the story to be told, the characters must be irrational so that they go through the experience. I know. So to their expense, we get to enjoy the horror that is coming upon a corpse blocking the way of your boat. And they have to wade the rest of the way out, which, oh my God, you found one body in the water. I... It's just terrible thinking like, oh my God, what if there are more bodies in the water? That would be my first thought. Well, this also plays on my weird fear of like when you go through one of those like mechanical water rides, the amount of machinery that's under the water making everything move. Mm -hmm. That's like one of my big like phobias. It kind of freaks me out. Getting stuck and going under? Well, just the idea of like all of that machinery that's underneath you, that's underneath me while I'm going through a water ride. Mm. It freaks me out. That is 100% fair. I do love that panel where they realize that they are fucked. Yeah. And he's in the shadows. He must be a madman. And you see him creeping up in the shadows. So scary. And he's like, you didn't laugh at my exhibits? No. No, there's nothing to laugh at. What's funny? And of course, like, you know, why wouldn't you be jilted? Someone laughed at you and you're like, I'll fucking show you. I'll kill real people and put them in my exhibits. Well, since they didn't laugh, does that mean that those two should be able to get out? Oh, you didn't laugh? Cool. Well, I guess you can leave. Like, he doesn't have a weapon on him. He just has shackles. So I'm like, you could take him. Easily. Easily. It's like two against one. I love that. First of all, how strange that the water wheel is his undoing. Yes. Let's get out of here. We got a honeymoon to finish. Not let's get out of here. Let's go call the police. Let's get out of here. We should alert the the authorities. Let's get out of here. We have to go bone somewhere because it's our honeymoon. First, first order of business, let's bust that padlock. Second order of business, let's go finish our honeymoon. <laughs> Second order of business, P in the V. And then maybe we'll contact the authorities if I think about it. George has his priorities in order. Yeah. um, You know what? Maybe not the hero we thought we needed, but. He's the one we got. Exactly. Sometimes you got to work with what you got. So this next story is actually kind of a really, it's, it's probably one of the more developed ones that we get in this first set of stories. So welcome, my very dear fiends. Welcome once again to the Crypt of Terra. I am the Crypt Keeper. I see it is time once more for another blood-curdling, spine-tingling yarn from my vast collection of horror stories, which I keep here in the crypt. This tale concerns a carnival. The kind that travels from town to town. The manager of this carnival was Henry Hastings. Listen now. As the story unfolds in Henry's own words, he calls it horror in the freak tent. I feel like that's how you know Henry is going to be a dry character. Because out of all of the things you could have named it, you're like, so what happened? And he's like, it was a horror in the freak tent. Oh, so what do you want to name it? 
a whore in the freak tent. That is it's what happened, isn't it? Whore. I am Henry Hastings. I am a very literal person. Yeah, it's there's a freak tent, and I walked in, and there was a horror happening. What I don't what what are we missing here? <laughs> I don't have time to be creative. I have a carnival to run. So Henry is our he's very much our abbot in this. He is the straight man to which everything happens to. Or everything happens around. Because nothing really happens to him. It just kind of happens around him. And he's aware of it, but he doesn't really do anything to stop anything. Because he knows that Louis, which, oh my god, the dumbest way to spell Louis I've ever seen in my entire life. Louis Glantz. He knows that he is an awful person. The worst person. He knows that he makes that he makes this poor boy eat like a dog. He knows that he is constantly stirring shit amongst the people. Poor Zalto. It's like reality television level, like producing like the most dramatic moments. Like, how can we do this? Let's talk of affairs. Let's get affairs going. And then. He's basically a bachelor producer. He was just way ahead of his time. Yes. Unfortunately, he came during the time of sideshows. Unfortunately. So he just continues to stir shit. And one night it gets to, to be too much for one of the members of... I don't understand why Zolto is a member of the freak show. He's a knife thrower. But I guess that's part of the freak show. So Louis has fucked with Zolto way too many times. Zolto gets mad at the way he treats people and threatens to put a knife through his skull. So Louis acts totally rationally and gets two red hot irons that had been heating up from the fire eaters performance and burned Zolto's eyes out with them. And Harry sees this. Is it Harry or Henry? I can't Henry. remember. Henry does nothing. Does Can I repeat? Nothing. He is he is Louis's boss. And he does says nothing. like he says like I don't I can't get involved in the affairs cuz things might get worse for the other carnies. I'm like what the fuck is wrong with you? Glance had acted in self-defense. Okay, like, there's a difference between somebody pulling a knife on you and you burning their eyes out. Yeah. So Zalto's like, I, um, he's like depressed because obviously he had white hot irons pushed into both of his eyes. (sighs) Um, But morale builds again because the carnies are helping him develop his new act. And he gets really um, happy about that. He's, he's like, okay, mm-hmm. I can do this. I can learn how to do this. So he's practicing and he's practicing. Henry notes that he's like a little boy again. He uh, is bubble bubbling and chattering about this new act. He's very excited to show Louis for some reason. It's just very sad because he's like, oh, if he sees that I can do this, he'll forgive me and take me back. And it's so sad. It's sad. But then on the night of the unveiling of Zalto's new performance, Henry arrives and he doesn't see what he's throwing the knives at, but the other yeah. carnies are saying, oh, great shot, Zalto. Aim a little this way. Aim a little that way. Aim a little higher. Throw the throw the meat cleaver. They're really like cheering him on and guiding him with his various throwing instruments with such glee. And then Henry approaches the table. And it sees exactly what's happening. And Zalto is like, 
Mr. Glance is watching, isn't he? And they're like, yes, he is. He sure is. He has a front row seat, which is fantastic. You know, the freaks get the ultimate revenge. They gag him and tie him to the board. And even though Zalto's aim was horribly bad, he rarely missed. And Henry still does nothing. Does nothing. I do. I want to give Zalto props because what I think happened was like they were guiding him on how to hit where they wanted him to hit. So I think. Oh, they I were. Think, I, think his, I think his aim was good. I think Henry is kind of selling him a little bit short. Yeah. I think Zalto is a master. I think Henry's the villain of this story, honestly. Silence is. A weapon. And he saw bad things happening and he did nothing. And then like his whole thing, when he sees what happens, he just walks away and says, Lord, have mercy on them. You are incompetent, Henry, and it's going to be you soon. Old Louis certainly had it coming and it came. Ice picks, knives, cleavers. (laughs) He did have it coming. Classic villain. But I think you're right. I think Henry is also the villain in this story. And even though he's the narrator, he's definitely also... He plays a part in this. He's not, he is not as blameless as he wants to act. Yeah. If you see injustice and you do nothing. You're just as bad. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this next story, it messed with me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. This one, another fantastic title. I love these horror pulp comics and they're just like, you know what? We're going cheesy pun as fuck with this title. This one is called Faced with horror or horror if you're gonna if you're gonna pronounce it non-dramatically but like why would you horror but yeah this is about two um two shitbirds who are robbing a bank they have planned out everything from step one to step run out the door with the money what they don't plan for is that somebody right outside of the bank as they're leaving is ready with a camera and takes a photo of their faces. And instead of pursuing him to go and get him, they decide to drive away instead to their detriment. Well, to one of their detriment, because one of the guys is uh, apparently anonymous, but the other guy, they recognize him immediately. They've got his picture, they identify him, and they realize they have all this money, but they can't do anything with it. At this point, I'm like, you could have just left town. You could have traveled far enough where no one knew who you were. Like, I feel like this was small enough. You went upstate. Like, go to a different state. And you'll be fine. And, like, this jiltedness around, like, Sam is the one who gets recognized from the picture. And Willie is the one who's in anonymity. I I just fucking love the drama of, I have to get a face change. That's the first thing he thinks of doing. Dye your hair. Shave your face. But his thing is like, oh, no, wait, I know a plastic surgeon that vacations up here in his vacation house. And the doctor's like, I mean, I have a few things. I can't do anything crazy. And he's like, no, you'll do what you will. It's so weird. Maybe I'm just a vain person, but I would never just be like, okay, you have a few scalpels. Just like do whatever. Just make me look different. He's like, give me a whole fucking different face. He's just like, all right, let's get started. And then, of course, because if we haven't already seen that this guy's kind of an asshole, as soon as the doctor finishes, he kills him. He says, well, thanks for the job. Here's the payoff. Well, you know Willie was going to double cross him anyway. 
Doesn't give him a chance to, though, because he kills him, too. So nobody will know about the plastic surgery job. Well, because I bet what happened was Willie probably told the doctor, he's like, hey, he's holding me hostage, too. Will you just make him grotesque? And when he wakes up, let him leave and I'll go with him. And you just or like tell the police what I told you. And then when they come to find us, they'll just take him away. Yeah, because Willie definitely could have possibly left. I don't know. But, I mean, you know Willie watched the entire time while this doc was fucking up his face. Yeah. It's hideous. Yeah, you can't go anywhere with that face. But I love that his um, quandary is like, how can I spend money looking like this? Yeah. You have a ton of money. Tell people you're a vet and be like, oh, I got acid thrown at me in Korea. And then spend a ton of money on getting your face fixed. These people don't think things through. They don't think things through. And now he's just going to shoot himself in the head, which I guess is what he was saying. He's like, what would you do if you were me and looked like this? Yes, that's what I'm going to do, too. So I assume he's just going to shoot himself in the head. Just end it. That was my guess. Because if you're ugly and you're a criminal, just end it. You can be one or the other, but not both. both. So this next one was... Not my fave. Yeah, I would agree. And this is where we see the vault keeper. I will, I'll, I'll get us in the mood again. It's very choose your own adventure, except you don't get to choose anything. Except you're just along for the ride. <laughs> Much so, like when you decide to listen to this podcast. I see it is time once more for me to tell you a tale from my collection of horror stories that I keep here in the vault. Well... This time, your vault keeper tells you a tale that actually happens to you. You are the main character. You live the whole experience every chilling minute. I call this spine tingler. So they finally pinned you down. I thought the ending was super cool. I'm not really a fan. So, okay, listener... You're in the story with us. The, th- the three of us together are an entity and ourselves. We wake up. We end up in this place. We have no idea what it is. It's just this empty, barren room. And then we start to remember we ran into this girl who took us back. And then we're angry because they f- that she fucking stole our money. So Yeah, and left us in this room. Left us in this room. So our entire journey is we're trying to find the squirrel to get our money back. But we keep seeing her. And each time we see her, we, we're overcome with rage. And we kill her. And it ends up not being her. Yes. We, can, we keep getting fooled yes. into thinking that we're getting her, but we're not. That is the main conflict. And you think at some point you would just stop, but we don't know how to stop. We only know go and angry. We only know revenge and run. So that's it, listeners. That is that is what we're doing. We arrive in town. We have nowhere to stay. This lady picks us up. She watched us get off the train and is like, oh, you need a place to stay? Stay here. And then she steals our money and we're trying to find her. Every time we think we do, we go mad and kill her and then escape back to the house. So what is what is the twist? 
he realizes the man on the radio said the victim's blood was drained from their bodies. And then when people break into this cellar room to find him, he realizes he's laying in a coffin. And it's his resting place. He doesn't drink any blood, so he's too weak to fight them off. I mean, we're, we were too weak to fight them off. Yeah. That's what and, happened to us listeners. Yes. And then as, as we're dying, we hear the woman laughing. She's behind yes, them. Yes, one laughing at us one last time, mocking us because she was able to trick us into dying. But I was confused. Like, I thought it was a fun little vampire twist but it was very strange i was wondering how it was going to tie in with like seeing the same woman over and over again but i think it would be better if it was just like i'm drawn to kill people yeah like i don't need it to be me like i didn't need that involvement in the story i feel like that almost took me out of it yeah i was like i would never do this yeah also make it a gender fluid character because right you're asking a lot of women to put to walk in some men's shoes, and that's not fair to them. I mean, history of literature. I also hated this next one, too. This is where it's starting to get repetitive for me. It's like scared to death. Basically, another one where the man plotted the murder of the uncle by fucking gaslighting the girlfriend turned wife. It was it was all pride-centric, and then basically throws her into a frenzy and then the entire plot is him just like trying to convince her that her uncle's come back from the dead to like seek revenge on her so that he can get the money yeah because the whole reason he even wants to marry this woman cora in the first place is so he can get her money he's an asshole and a cad he's terrible well and then the bursting through the door what i like too is like it's i don't necessarily believe that that's the uncle oh really well i know it's supposed to be the uncle but I love the idea that it's the manifestation of greed. That would be fun. See, that would be a fun little twist. It's almost more like frightening of- the idea that like your actions are so deplorable. Whatever this entity is that's come to take you, it's come to take you back to where you belong, which is beneath the swamp. And the stench of grave mold. Oh, because oh, poor Cora. He basically, yeah, he basically is so mean to Cora. Her health declines and then he scares her to death. Yeah, he was a he was a bitch enough to her that she died. Yeah, cause of death, bitch husband. <laughs> and then he is, yeah, he is carried into the mud by a ghastly thing. Just, you know, a sensible, cute, ghastly thing. The deus ex machina. I was hoping for kind of a different twist ending there. I was hoping for something along the lines of, you know, she's actually been healthy the whole time. She's been faking it with him and pushes him down the stairs or something like that. But, you know, I'll take a deus ex machina, I guess, too, if I have to. Yeah, if one of them goes, I'd rather both of them go then. As long as he is not surviving until the end. That's all I care about. This one was fun and creepy. The Vault of Horror. This one, and I this gooped and gacked. I was not ready. And this one is weird because it's it apparently appeared in Crypt Keeper magazine, but it's a special guest appearance by the Vault Keeper. Time for me to grace the pages of the Crypt Keeper's magazine with a horror tale from my private collection of spine tinglers here in the Vault of Horror. 
Come in and lie down on that stretch rack over there. You'll have a ripping good time with this tale of the macabre I am about to relate. I call it, Judy, you're not yourself today. We just have this immediate scene of this husband infantilizing his wife. Immediately. He's like, hey, you dumb broad. Don't open the door to strangers. You're a child and not able to take care of yourself. And she's like, yes, sweetie, absolutely. You're so right. Enjoy your day at work. And I will stay home and wander around the house in my wonderful gown. And then who should knock on the door? But a a scary old lady. See, and I hate this because this creates homeless phobia. It does. The first thing we see of Judy, she might be a little simple, but she's very sweet. Yeah, she said, I'm going to, girl, I got you. I'll grab you some bread. And then it low-key turns sexual when she says, my body. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's terrifying. And then I was just thinking about how terrible this would be, like, to switch bodies like this, to be young and then be forced to be old. I mean, obviously, there's, like, nothing wrong with being old. If you're old, you're old. But to rob somebody of basically their entire life. Well, and through this method, too, where it's, like, clearly some, like, body body snatchers, like, pitch black magic. Although I do love how this old woman, as soon as she has the new body, she just books it. She's like, I don't have time for anybody or anything. Buy a train ticket. My ass is out of here. I'm taking the bus. I am also stunned that her husband, like, she gets her husband to believe her. I wonder, do you think they had a code that they were like, if anything happens where like you shouldn't, you can't recognize me or like something paranormal happens, ask me this series of questions and you will know it's me. Well, I was wondering if she kept her voice because on the phone she calls him and she's like, come home immediately. And clearly he knew it was her. So she has to, you know, clearly still sound like herself. Yeah. They do a little quiz game where she proves that she is... Judy. And then good old Donald is like, okay, good. If you're Judy, you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. And she's like, of course, anything you say. So get in that closet. What a terrible, it's just a terrible day for Judy. She deserves a better husband and she deserves a better day than this. Judy deserves a spa day and a hot, big, bulking Eastern European husband. That's what Judy deserves. Justice for Judy. That's what I say. Although I did think this was very clever. This was so clever. This was so, so clever. He goes down to, so he goes down to the depot because he gets a phone call from a good friend who's like, hey, your wife's down here. I don't know what's going on. She bought this one-way ticket. If you, I don't, I don't want to pry. And he's like, no, thanks. Like, I appreciate you. I'll be down there. And then says, so you're running away, Judy? So you can't face the fact that you have cancer, that you're going to die in two months. And she goes, huh? Cancer? <laughs> Die? She's like, huh? What the fuck? Yeah, she's like, whoa, 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 wait. Cancer? And I'm sorry, did it, you say cancer? This body has cancer? What have I done? I've got to get back, get back to my mm-hmm. body. And then she does her little incantation. Judy ends up on the bench. So they run home. And who should we hear thud, thud, thudding on the closet door? The old lady wench, which I was really worried. Just the fact that he like runs in guns a blazing without saying anything. He I was like, oh. it up. <laughs> I was like, oh no, oh no, this is going to be one of those things where like he finds out that he actually just killed his wife, and that the witch never switched back, and she oh, tricked yeah, him. Oh yeah, it's a trick. 
But spoiler alert, reader, that is not what happened. It's not what happened at all. They, but they, something weird and creepier happened. I was like, oh, great, a happy ending. And then, of course, the next page, the vault keeper shows up and is like, hey, you thought you thought it was over, but you can be <laughs> you wrong. Six months uh, later, like that witch played long game. Right? She said, we're taking, we're playing long game here. Her body surfaces from under the grave dirt. She says, she's taken my body again. She's done it. She crawls upstairs and Donald is forced to kill both of them. And Judy, now repossessed of her own body, gasped as she passed away. I, I'm here, Donald. I'm gasp where I belong. So at least she died in her own body. Yeah. What if, oh, what if it had been the double cross again? I feel like there's some missed opportunities here. Cause like, how does he know that could be the witch faking? Uh, don't make fun of that strange old woman who comes begging. You might find yourself in, okay, I'm going to ignore, ignore every old woman I see, especially if they start mumbling under their breath. Exactly. No, thank you. Nope. And here's our last story of the episode, listener oh, readers. The one that I am quite ambivalent towards. I, uh, this one just hit especially hard after we just got done doing King. Yeah. It's like, oh, remember all those emotions you felt? We'll get ready to feel them hard. So this one is called The Guilty. It's very much kind of like To Kill a Mockingbird-esque. You have um, a black man who's been accused of murdering a white woman, uh, held in the local prison, being threatened threatened with lynching. He is transferred to a more high-security prison. A defense attorney comes in who is Atticus-esque and wants to defend him. So you have this really corrupt jailkeeper who is sheriff. Oh, he's sheriff. This terribly yeah. corrupt sheriff who is one of the worst people ever. And he's like genuinely upset that he's not able to just turn this guy loose and let this people just lynch him. Yeah. Him. He's upset the district attorney is actually trying to do a fair case. And he's just convinced this guy's guilty. For no reason other than the fact that he is a black man, he's racist as hell, and he refuses to do anything about the people who are outside the jail threatening this guy's life. And so we come to the day of the trial, and he's in the car. They go pick him up, and the car stops, and he says, oh, there must be something wrong with the tire. He gets the man to get out of the car, and he fashions a gun and tells him to start running and he runs and he shoots him. And then they get back to the courthouse and he's like, he ran. So I shot him. And of course the defense attorney is waiting saying that Hank Barker, who was the woman's husband killed the woman and it killed the woman. Yeah. Yeah. This guy was Completely innocent. I wonder why he would try and escape. And the only reason he runs, because like he's not, he doesn't want to. He gets pushed out of the car and he he won't run. And then he stands up and the only reason he leaves is because the sheriff is literally shooting a gun at his feet. And, and tells him to run. And I do, I do love this little note because this was in the 50s, I'm pretty sure. So this was before the Civil Rights Act. This was when stuff like this was acting 
absolutely still happening. And we have this letter to the editor that says whether Aubrey Collins, which is the name of the prisoner, was innocent or guilty is not important. But for any American to have so little regard for the life and rights of any other American is a debasement of the principles of the Constitution on which our country is founded. Yes, thank you. Why do horror magazine editors have better morals than members of the government? Seriously. I loved that message. I think... That like, and I, you know, to a degree, it's like, there is so much, there are so many foul things that are highlighted in this short comic. You're right. This is in the fifties. So it's like for the story to be told, I don't, I don't know. I guess reading it now, I'm like, it's so gregarious and awful in it's nature, but it's like, it's truth. Like this happened. Mm-hmm. I love um, at the very beginning when they're kind of introducing the story where it says the shameful story might have taken place anywhere in the United States. It could have happened in your town. It began with the pitiful wail of a siren screaming through the balmy spring air. So it's, I mean, definitely we can tell by the way people are talking that this is somewhere in the South. But the fact that they're like, this could have happened anywhere. And it probably did. It probably happened in your town. Just the awareness that this is the America we're living in. And then their clear response talking about how it's completely 100% wrong. And and I love too that title references the people who caused this ending. Those are the guilty. The people who have already decided that he is guilty until proven innocent and end up committing murder themselves. Like the sheriff who ends up committing a murder because... He can't imagine. He hears that there's a possibility this guy might um, might win his case, and he can't let that happen. So he takes the law into his own hands and kills an innocent man. And that's the episode that <laughs> on for part one. <laughs> Ending on like a real positive note, I will say despite the fact that the last story we covered has some pretty heavy subject matter. This is a real, if you like horror comics, which I do, I love horror comics. I, I make it a ritual to watch creep show every single year, at least once during Halloween season. And sometimes even outside of Halloween season, you know, creep show, which is based off of, you know, the, the horror comics that these type, and other ones, of course, we're in. But yeah, it's most of them are just a fun little light, scary story. And it's a little breezy read. Like you can get, I got through everything that we've talked about. I got through in like 45 minutes because they're just like fun little spooky reads. And I love a fun little spooky read. Just a cute, fun little spooky read. I would also say like, if you would like to read with us, um, I would just give the warning that the guilty is pretty intense for what you would be reading prior to reading the guilty the rest of them are just like fun little oh what if something spooky happened and then this one is like hey terrible things are happening in uh in our country and here is an illustration of it so just tread with caution if you want to read along with us know that when you see the guilty coming up if you're there and you want to read it great if you're not where you want to be just skip on over it i guess i mean i guess this is this shit still happening today because i was just reminded of sandra bland yeah so 
please listen to next week's episode because we are going to be we'll be finishing up came the dawn by wallace wood which includes the title story which i'm pretty excited about so please come back for that spooky spooky stuff is always fun Okay, so this feels weird to ask because we don't necessarily have a linear story where we can kind of guess what's going to happen next. But what sort of stories, like of the stories we read today, what do you want to see more of in the second half? I want to see more body horror. I want to see at least one happy ending. It's not just you got away and, okay, let's go back to what we were doing. Like I wanted what we got from Judy, You're Not Yourself. I wanted that to just be the ending, that she got her body back and everything was back to normal. It was strange to just be like, okay, things are good. Just kidding. No, they're not. But like in the same breath too, it's like that was – I hated it, but I was also like, this is really good writing. It's annoying when you see things get wrapped up with a bow. So it's nice that they didn't do that, but at the same time, like you kind of want it. You want somebody to be happy. It's all I wanted. I would like to see more – of the like evil cackly villains we see in like the mad magician because he might be my favorite villain so i would love to see more like very insane villains like that that are that just kind of go all out like your given motive but there's like no true motive outside of just like cackly evilness exactly these people are they they do evil from their chest Mm-hmm. Although I say that, and I hated I hated Louis so much in Horror in the Freak Ten. He was terrible. I do not want more villains like him because I feel like he was just a bastard man. Not a bastard man villain, just a truly crazy villain. Yeah. So please tune in next time, listeners. And, you know, if – I mean, if you can think of a comic you'd like us to cover, I can't guarantee we'll actually do it. But you can always reach out, readthisway.podcast on Instagram, readthisway.podcast at gmail.com on gmail they're there <laughs> if you need them just awaiting just send us a message We're, you know we get the we get the dings on our phone so if you want to interrupt our dinner please by all means send us an email we would truly love nothing more than to hear from you and get your feedback on the podcast you know this is season two and this is our not our sophomore season because it sounds like we're only doing four, but this is like the third week of our freshman year. I feel like the second season is where you like hammer out the kinks and figure out what works and what doesn't. So readers, if you would like to help us with that, we wouldn't be mad. No, we'd be grateful. Because we think we're amazing. But if you disagree, that's fine but you're going to have to provide proof with a five-paragraph essay. Definable and observable changes that would make us better. With a bibliography. A must. At least five sources. Mm-hmm. Scholarly and peer-reviewed. That's all we ask for, and I don't think that's too much. All right, Buffalo Road listeners, we love you, and thank you for listening. And we'll see you next, next time. time. And if you've forgotten what you're listening to, I'm Renee Pogue. And I'm Jason Gade. He's Jace Wingate. That's right. And this is the Read This Way Podcast. Read This Way Podcast. We love you. Bye. Bye.